unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome to a brand new week. Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have your company. Now telephone number 131269. If you'd like to be a part of the program, all the news and your views on this Monday, it is February 15. If you want to send us an email, you can do that as well at 2smsupernetwork.com. And perhaps you would also like to perhaps send us a text. 0458 049 209 is the text line. Now, for Sydney today, uh, partly cloudy with a high chance of a shower or two. Maybe this afternoon will be the worst of it, the wettest of it, and a top of 23 degrees only for Sydney today. For the central Tablelands today, a good morning to our station staying with us in Bathurst and Orange. Partly cloudy, again the chance of showers mostly in the east, and most likely this afternoon and tonight tops of 22 degrees. And good morning to our uh, stations up on the mid-north coast, 2HC at Coffs Harbour. Uh, For you today, cloudy, high chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, most likely this afternoon, tops of 25 degrees. And for FM 93.5 and Radio 531 in Port Macquarie on the mid-north coast, likewise, cloudy, maybe a late thunderstorm and a couple of showers. And good morning to, uh, to our new sponsor. We've got a brand new sponsor. Uh, of the program. So up there at Port Macquarie, Radio 531 and FM 93.5, Marcus Paul in the morning is now proudly brought to you by 40 Winks in Port Macquarie. So you know where to go (laughs) if you need to get yourself some wonderful uh, sleep furniture. They're good at beds, 40 Winks. Uh, Not only do they do beds, but a whole range of other things, and you'll start hearing commercials for them uh, on the uh, the program. So, that's wonderful news. Brand new week, brand new sponsor, particularly for our Mid-North Coast stations, and it's great to have your company. Well, as you know, this program is all about the news and the views, and, uh, of course, some of the big news over the weekend is the fact that the federal opposition is now slamming the Home Affairs Minister... Peter Dutton is in trouble again. He apparently spent over $36,000 to charter an RAAF jet to Tasmania. Now, remember years ago when Bronwyn Bishop got, in, got herself into a whole lot of trouble because she used taxpayer dollars to hop on helicopters? Well, <laughs> this makes that look, look tiny in comparison, does it not? Peter Dutton spent over $36,000 to make a grants announcement during the 2010 Braddon by-election. Looks a long time ago, and obviously this information has only just been uncovered. Look, it's, it's understandable, I think, that all of this stuff is coming out now. Why? Well, because I believe we're really in election mode. I think there'll be an election later this year. I think the Prime Minister might go early rather than waiting until 2022. But Peter Dutton apparently spent 36 grand to make a grants announcement. The Shadow Minister for Home Affairs, Christina Keneally, who we might try and get on the program this morning, Christina says the Liberals are treating taxpayers' money as their own. Well, you'd expect that uh, from uh, the opposition's attack dog, and that's what, uh, no disrespect meant, but, I mean, that's what uh, her role will be again. 
leading up to the next federal election, Christina Keneally. She'll be unleashed by unleashed by Labor as the person to run to run these attack lines and go hard on the federal government. It'll be interesting. It really will be. But I don't know what to make of this from Peter Dutton. I don't think he's Robinson Crusoe. And I expect there'll be more and more of these kinds of stories that you'll start to hear as we lead into the next election, whether it's later this year or, of course, next year. But I tend to think Scott Morrison may go early, perhaps, and call a federal election for spring of 2021. Okay, the federal government, meanwhile, I see perhaps are considering streamlining welfare payments. Under a proposal, and it's just a proposal at this point, unemployed people receiving up to a dozen supplements or subsidies could end up having them paid in one welfare payment. I'll go through this story in more detail this morning, but there are reports today in News Corp that an increase in the job seeker rate is also now perhaps being considered. We've been talking about this for a little while, haven't we? Uh, There will be more pressure brought to bear on the federal government in coming days and weeks as we lead up to the date that was supposed to be the cut-off point for the current job seeker rate, the old uh, New Start allowance, or if you like, the old dole. It's pretty obvious the government will have to move from what was $40 a day, trying to transition people on welfare from what they're currently receiving which is a little less than during, a, uh, during the height of the pandemic, but trying to get people to transition back down to 40 bucks a day just won't work, simply will not work. Anyway, again, if you'd like to have your say on this, what is a good figure that the federal government should settle at for its social security safety net? Should it be in line with the poverty line or should it be a little bit above that? I mean, many people say, and rightly so, that if you're going to keep people on welfare as a safety net, remember that most of this money, in fact, probably a great deal of it, ends up being recycled back into our economy. So it's important to have the money there circulating within the economy. Uh, It ends up going back into the economy in some way, shape or form. But certainly back down to 40 bucks a day won't fly. And I think the government will be under pressure to at least look at a, a figure close to maybe 70 to $75 a day. That's what Pauline Hanson, One Nation Senator, who will have a, a big say in this, suggested to me on the program last year. She believes that should be the figure that the federal government eventually settles on, somewhere between 70 and 75 bucks a day. I don't think they can double it. I don't know whether that's sustainable, but still has to be a little more than the 40 bucks a day. If you want to have your say on that, 13 12 69, the telephone number. David Shoebridge, MP, will be on the program today. Now, there's an inquiry on today on the Powerhouse Museum. Approval on Friday. Look, they're desperate for arts and museum dollars outside of Sydney where there's no money. Um, Also, David wants to talk to us about the casino licence. He remembers how James Packer walked down the corridor in Parliament and persuaded the anti-gambling, anti-vice voice, if you like, Fred Nile, to vote for a special exemption to allow indoor smoking in high rollers rooms. That was critical, apparently, for them to get the whales into the casino. The whales, eh? Anyway, we'll talk to David about that this morning. Of course, again, late last week, 
the power, Jamie Packer in particular, and Crown Resorts and Casinos were in the news when the state government once again basically said, look, you're not up to scratch. We can't allow you to operate your brand new big shiny you-know-what in the middle of Sydney. That's what it looks like. <laughs> I read on the weekend references to uh, Packers Wacker <clears throat> being that beautiful new development there at Barangaroo. I also read with interest that there was a meeting that took place at Alan Jones's apartment in the toaster in Sydney years ago when Jamie Packer first floated the idea of this new Crown Casino at Barangaroo. He then met, apparently, at the behest of Mr Jones and Mr Packer with the then-Premier Barry O'Farrell to outline his vision for Sydney. Anyway, we'll... uh, We'll find out a little bit more on all of this from David Shoebridge. We're also going to speak to a, a Melbourne resident this morning who's now in her third lockdown. My understanding is this poor lady's trying to organise a wedding. Gee whiz. Of course, we do know that Melbourne is currently in the midst of a five-day lockdown, and that will be the case until Wednesday. Will Dan Andrews ease the restrictions from Wednesday? I guess time will tell. But New South Wales, gee, we're doing well. We passed over the weekend the 28 days of zero transmissions within the community of COVID-19. And that was wonderful. 28 days. Uh, And look, we're doing very well. This new strain is a concern down there in Victoria. Um, I understand. I really do. I get it. Why Dan Andrews has gone and done the things that he has. I feel desperately sorry for small business. I feel desperately sorry for people who are trying to organise weddings and organise other events. It's a very, very difficult time to try and... I've got two weddings to go to this Friday, for goodness sake. When I come off air, I've got my sister getting married, lunchtime in Brower, and then uh, my partner's, or my fiance's brother, gets married on the Friday night. So I've got two to go to. And I can't tell you the dramas they've all been through in trying to organise their weddings. And unfortunately, with the Victorian lockdown in place, there'll be some people that can't make, can't make it, particularly to the second wedding I'm going to, in Barrel. It's very difficult. And you've got to remember as well that their, their tickets, well, not tickets, but you know their, their place at the reception has already been paid for. It ends up costing people a lot of money, and unfortunately you can't get it back. And that's why it's very difficult when governments at the last moment just move the goalposts and close borders. It's a concern. All righty, 13 12 69, the telephone number if you'd like to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning. We'll get into more of the nitty-gritty of all the news, but we love your views this morning, so please give me a call. Over the weekend, I heard that there was a brand new song out, um, and it was done during the height of the pandemic, late last year, by singer-songwriter Pink. And it's a very happy, positive tune. It only goes for a couple of minutes, but what's important about this new song from Pink is that her beautiful daughter, Willow, also appears in it. I don't know whether you've heard it yet, but I'm going to play it. 
and we'll probably play it a little bit over the coming weeks. It's called Cover Me in Sunshine, and it's by Pink and her daughter, Willow Sage Hart. I hope you enjoy it. It's very nice. Isn't it nice? Brand new song from Pink and her daughter, Willow. It only was released on Friday. Again, you believe already on Vivo. I'll share the uh, the really nice video clip. I'll put it up in a moment on our Facebook page. Uh, but it's already had uh, more than one and a half million downloads and views and growing. Yeah, it's just such a nice song. Nice, positive, happy song. Cover me in sunshine. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69, our telephone number if you'd like to have your say. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, it's 23 and a half minutes after five. Good morning to James. How are you, Monty? Are you well up there at 2NZ? Thank you very much for your nice note. I got that. appreciate it. And uh, Daniel Brewer. Who's just sent us a note too? Uh, you can do that on social media, hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. If you follow our page, you'll get all the latest news, uh, all of our podcasts, videos, all the rest of it. Uh, but you can send us messages that way as well. Uh, but Daniel, thank you for your kind note as well, mate. Aged care providers are launching a new campaign calling for major reforms to the sector. Boy, oh boy, haven't we heard this enough? With the Royal Commission set to make its recommendations later this month, a new report shows Australia devotes less than half of what comparable countries do to aged care. So in other words, we commit around 1.2% of our gross domestic product to looking after elderly Australians versus roughly 2.5% to other comparable countries. Ahead of the next election, advocates will draw attention to the significant number of older Australians in some of our most marginal electorates. Sean Rooney from the Australian Aged Care Collaboration says action is well, well overdue. So aged care providers, they'll start also... Look, again, this will be all a part of what I consider as an election year this year. We're certainly on election footing. I know that Labor are, Federal Labor... And aged care providers will start pressuring the federal government ahead of the next election to pull their socks up and improve the sector. With the Royal Commission set to make its recommendations later this month, it's been revealed that we, Australia, comparable with other countries that are in the same boat as ours, you know, uh, developed, fairly wealthy nations, we're spending literally half of what the others do looking after our mo- some of our most vulnerable. All right, so anyway, we might try and catch up with Sean Rooney from the Australian Aged Care Collaboration on the program at some points. 13 12 69, the telephone number. People flying from New Zealand to Australia will now need to go into 14 days hotel quarantine from today. It follows the confirmation of several cases of COVID-19 in Auckland. A three-down lockdown is now underway in Auckland as a result. All right, they say it's the worst hospital in New South Wales, according to a new data-rich scorecard, which has been conducted by News Corp on how your local hospital is performing which is the worst hospital in New South Wales. 
Blacktown. Blacktown Hospital is one of a number of Sydney's hospitals in the west and southwest that dominate the list of the ten worst in New South Wales. Patients in Wollongong, Gosford and Shoalhaven are also apparently being let down by the state of their hospitals. I'll go into more detail on this story after the 5.30 news. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome back to the program. Hello if you're just joining us for the first time on this Monday, February 15. Welcome to a brand new week. It's great to have your company. How about you give us a call? Let me know what's on your mind. Hope you had a wonderful Valentine's weekend. 131269, 2SM if you want to listen to us online. Uh, and you can also, of course, send us a text 0458-049-209. Well, I see I've got a note here from New South Wales Police. Homicide squad detectives are renewing their appeal for our help on the first anniversary of Omar Elamar's shooting murder in Sydney's West. You may remember this. Just after 11 o'clock on Saturday, Feb 15 last year, emergency services were called to Cabramatta Avenue at Miller following reports a man had been shot. Officers located the 18-year-old with a gunshot wound to the chest and despite their best efforts, he passed away at the scene. Now, a teenager was formally identified, the teen, as 18-year-old Omar Elamar. Now, following initial inquiries by officers from Liverpool City Police Area Command and detectives, uh, I see that homicide took carriage of the investigation under a new f- strike force that they named CERO, C-E-R-O. So far during the investigation, they've charged an 18-year-old Macquarie Fields man over the alleged involvement in the incident. The man, now aged 19, remains before the courts, but... Last year in July, CCTV vision of two other vehicles of interest was released, a silver sedan and a red hatchback, red hatchback seen in the area at the time of the shooting. Now, investigations continue and police are renewing their appeal for our help. So any information you may have on this senseless act of violence, please come forward and get in touch with Crime Stoppers, one 800 I know that those working hard to try and solve this heinous crime behind Strike Force Zero are working as hard as they possibly can to bring some closure and, I guess, some justice for the family and those loved ones that remain. So if you can help out, please get in contact with New South Wales Police via Crime Stoppers 1-800-333-000. OK, 20, uh, what is it now? 22 minutes away from 6 New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. And Frank is there. Morning, Frank. Oh, how are you going? Uh, All right, thank Marcus. you, mate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Uh, yeah, well, well, just caught the end of that. What, uh, what you were just saying then about a crime? What was that about? Sorry. Oh, it happened a year ago, and uh, police have released there uh, some more detail on this this eighteen year old man's death in Miller, uh, which is out near the Liverpool area in southwest Sydney. An eighteen year old gunned down at this time last year on the fifteenth of February, and they've renewed. Uh, their call for our help if you can help out. So if there's more CCTV, you'll see it probably tonight on your television screens, mate. Uh, okay, I do. And look, you've got a Greens 
coming on the show, is that right? Uh, David Shubridge, yeah, the New South yep. Wales uh, member, yep. Well, I've always had a little bit of a bugbear about the, the drug issue, and yep. I'm just wondering whether you could ask him a question. You know, everyone seems to think that marijuana is a, a harmless drug, mm. but, you know, could you mention to him that the, the, the stats show that 50% of people... Um, who use marijuana go on to harder drugs, and then and then the, some of them go through a ten year cycle to get off those drugs. So um, you know, I'm just wondering whether they, I'm just wondering whether they they realise that. Well, and, I'm, yeah, sure, actually, look, I'm sure some of them do, but let me. <clears throat> I'll just do a little bit of work on on David Shoebridge's thoughts on this and his background on this. You've got to remember, uh, I mean, he's he's not in power, um, but I guess. You know, the state government will uh, make its its legislation based on uh, a whole range of advice uh, just because one or two Greens in our community believe that we should legalise drugs. It's not going to happen. Um, Frank, let's be honest. Yeah, well, um, I think it sends the, sends the wrong message to, you know, to Fair our enough. youth, you know. Fair enough. Uh, look, and I, look, I rang you to talk about Dan Andrews. And yes, mate. Oh, no, look, I had a bit of a joke for Valentine's Day, but I'll save that to later. But, um, um, look, just, just one last thing on the drugs thing. Look, it really concerns me the amount of accidents that are happening with people who have been using drugs, you know, and, and the combination of drugs. I mean, you know, like a whole young family was wiped out, as we know. Four police officers were wiped out, um, uh, the, the car they were chasing was, was a, uh, had a bloke in it who was a, an ice dealer and an ice user. Mm. The truck driver who wiped the four police out was on ice. Uh, just recently another horrific accident where a child was wiped out and the truck driver was using ice. You know, so yeah, I think we've got to think about legalising drugs and the message that it sends, sends the people. But look, on Dan Andrews, Marcus. Yeah. Um, he said uh, the other day that uh, you cannot make hotel quarantine zero risk, that is, from spreading, spreading infections. Well, the whole state's been locked down once again because the infectious, more infectious virus has escaped from hotel quarantine. But look, it seems to me that if all the correct procedures were put in place, and, and you've got to think that it's totally worthwhile doing if you're going to shut down the economy of an entire state to make sure that you, you spend the money, you get the proper expertise in there to, you know, for the highest level you know, of infection control. So, I mean, that's just a bit of a cop-out saying that. And um, I just can't think of anything more important you know, than getting, you know, the top expertise in infection control on these quarantine hotels. I mean, look at the NRL, Marcus. Mm. Look what a great job. Valandis came out and he said, um, we're going to use the, the best technology and, and brains possible, you know, to yep. Yep. Make, make this successful. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, sure. But he delivered. And, you know, how well did the NRL do to stop any inf- any infection between players 
you know, they the extreme lengths they had to go to. Yeah, but you've got to remember, hang on, you've got to remember, Frank, that the the NRL players were here effectively in Australia in a bubble, if you like, and what we're dealing with when you come when it comes to hotel quarantine is that we're dealing with people who are arriving in the country who some of whom already have COVID nineteen. So I think that yeah. comparing the two is probably a little uh, well. There's no real well, comparison. Well, a, a little, Marcus, but they had to, you know, you, you use the word bubble, and that's what, you know, the NRL players had to go through. They they had to yep, make yep. huge so- sacrifices. So, so I'm talking about bubbles for, for staff, you know, uh, for quarantine staff. Look, I, I saw videos coming out of Wuhan in, in China where the infection control people were, were wearing full body suits. Yet we had drivers driving, yeah. you know, uh, uh, basically st- staff, airline staff and flight crew um, with, in the same car, you know, uh, with, with little control. I mean, little infection control procedures. And, and he caught the virus and obviously, you know, and he spread it. Same with a, a worker, a, um, yeah. a, um, a cleaner. I mean... The procedures, I mean... Have so to what be are you exhausted. suggesting, if you can get to, get to the point? What's your point? You're, are you So you're suggesting that, again, our hotel quarantine procedures, particularly in Victoria, are letting the rest of the country down. Is that what you're saying, essentially? Well, it could, it could be from any hotel quarantine, not only Victoria. Yep. But, the, you know, like some really, really stringent procedures could be exhausting procedures, could be put in place. Yep. And it's worth it when you think that you're shutting down the economy of an entire state. Yeah, fair enough. And it's costing millions upon millions of dollars each and every day. All right, Frank, appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Uh, at a quarter to six, Dennis, good morning, mate. How are you? Hello, mate. Hey, Dan. How was Valentine's Day for you? Not bad. Mate, I had a beauty. Lovely. It's great to hear. I did, yeah. I woke up this morning, in the morning and I sang my darling Charlie's Pride, you know, you got to kiss an angel good morning. And oh, nice. Through the day, I hummed um, Lovers in the Air and oh. in the evening I went to a, you know, right, you raised me up. So oh, you and see, on the way home from lunch, I called into the garage. Yeah. See, she said, what are you going to give us at a packet of chewing gum? And I come out with a big bunch of roses. Oh, so. see, you got to be telling Justin all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's for real. The thing with it is, young fella, mm. my my darling's my Valentine every day. I'm not a real, you know, into it. it it's a money making thing. But however, you know, I might buy my wife flowers next week or the week after. Or, yeah, yeah, of course. Mate, you mentioned earlier about the hospitals are bad, the worst, and the best. Well, yes, yes. Mate, the, the thing with it is, I, I've had a pretty harrowing experiences up here in the last three or four months with me gout and hand and back yep. and do whatever. Yep. But everyone has tried. Every one of them. The, a couple of things I was a little disappointed. They sent me home and they said, there's not much we can do. Mm. But the thing is, it's the lack of doctors. Like, I went to John Hunter Hospital. I was there for 13 and a half hours altogether in emergency. Yep. I was in and out because they took blood tests and everything. But they worked like a bloody machine behind the doors. Look, and uh, on one yeah. of the holiday weekends on the Sunday, there was four hundred and five people in emergency. Mm. There was over three hundred at the marker. There was a hundred and five at Tomaga, Tom, Tomaree. 
Yeah, look, we, we have our hope. yeah our hospital system, and my mum's been, my dear mum's been through it in the last few months as well. Our hospital system here in New South Wales, in particular, uh, despite the issues that we have, the hospital systems are first class. But I do wonder whether, I mean, it's all very well having the latest technology and brand new buildings and it's all flash and looks great and fancy and all the rest of it. But what's the point of having all these wonderful new facilities if you're not going to staff them correctly? Exactly know? right, mate. Yeah. And they're full of interns. You go through the, um, the Hunter Hospital and you see there's six, seven, eight, nine, ten walking through with death of goat. Yeah, yeah. The older brigade have gone and they're out working, you know. I went to the Tomary Hospital the other day, and there's a guy there. He had a big complex in Sydney, you know, and we'd visited there. He now just wants to work casual and around and whatever, mm. and he was going to end up at Cooper Pedy, but he ended up at Tomary. He said, I want to stay here. Right. Yeah, you know, there's a promo with John Laws about how this young fellow went with a toe infection after four times, and he died. Yep. We haven't got, you know, the, it's... We've got too many politicians that are on big... We've just got to get Medicare's Medicare. If we could keep everybody alive, mate, the, the place would be better off financially. Yeah, well said. Uh, perhaps there are far too many bureaucrats within the government and maybe far too many health bureaucrats and, and not enough doctors, not enough nurses, and not enough money being pumped into personnel, if you like, uh, to, I guess, ensure that these wonderful new facilities and look um, where my mum was out there at Nepean Hospital. I mean, it's a billion-dollar development. It's going to be wonderful once the whole thing's finished. And and even so, even in the older part, which is still relatively new, where mum was, it, the place is spotless. It looks fantastic. It's amazing. But Dennis is right. I mean, you've got patients on wards waiting for hours and sometimes days in order to see a doctor. And what does that tell us? Well, I think that tells us very clearly that, unfortunately, we're not staffing hospitals as well as we should. Look, Blacktown apparently had the most entries in the 25 categories of poor-performing hospitals with 13 dishonourable mentions, the second worst-performing hospital, in New South Wales is Bankstown, Lincoln, followed by Wollongong, Campbelltown and Liverpool. They all scored 11 mentions each. When I say mentions, dishonourable mentions. Apparently, Nepean and Westmead are also a little on the nose. Five newborns have died at Blacktown Hospital in the last 18 months. Nurses, midwives and doctors took industrial action late last year over concerns about patient safety and personal well-being. Now, Blacktown, a 570-bed teaching hospital, 34 kilometres from the centre of Sydney, scored the worst in wide-range patient surveys in categories ranging from cleanliness in wards, the chance to speak to doctors and nurses, receiving contradictory advice, pain relief during labour, time spent waiting in the emergency department before being admitted, and whether the hospital actually resolved the medical issue the patient was suffering. Opposition health spokesman Ryan Park. We'll get Ryan on the program this morning, Justin. We'll get a call in to Ryan, wake him up. Hospitals like Blacktown, Ryan says, are not meeting the health needs of the community now, let alone trying to keep up with the tens of thousands of people who will call the area home in the coming years. 
Anyway, there's plenty to discuss through that. And uh, the story this morning, we might share it. We'll share it on our uh, social page. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. It's a good investigation done. Credit where it's due. Great investigation done by the Daily Telegraph. Hornsby Hospital, by the way, where Justin and his little bloke Cameron spent a lot of time is great. A lot of work's been done in upgrading the hospital, new buildings, etc. Um, but what about the staffing levels? Again, you know, it's, it's a concern. It's wonderful having all of these new buildings. And we have politicians there in hard hats and high vis opening them up all the time, saying, aren't they wonderful? Which they are, don't get me wrong. But I wonder, and the, the, one of the most common complaints I hear is that they're understaffed. And I don't just hear that from patients, but I hear that as well from the staff that who are, who are there, run off their feet. Nurses working long shifts, with little time to attend to all of their patients' needs. Good morning to you all. Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page. Okay, welcome back on this Monday, Feb 15. Today for Sydney, cloudy, high chance of showers, most likely this afternoon, tops of 23 degrees. Uh, for the Central Tablelands, good morning to EL Orange and uh, the station staying with us this morning. Tops of 22 degrees for the Central Tablelands today. Again, the chance of showers mainly around the east and for the mid-north coast. Hello to our listeners on 2HC in Coffs and also to those listening in Port Macquarie via FM 93.5 and Radio 531. And that, of course, is thanks to Forty Winks, our new sponsor up there. Cloudy for you today, high chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm most likely this afternoon or tonight, and tops of 25 degrees for Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie. All right, the news theme still works. That's wonderful. I hit the wrong button, but that's okay. It's Monday and it's early. (laughs) I meant to do this. So Ryan Park, member for Kira, Shadow Health Minister, will join us on the program at around quarter past six as a new survey reveals the worst hospitals in New South Wales. And sadly, one of the worst is Blacktown, where five children died last year and staff, as we know, have recently protested over safety. We can and should do a hell of a lot better. There's no point in having... All of these shiny new hospitals, the infrastructure is wonderful. It really is. It's created jobs and, you know, there are cranes all over the joint, particularly a lot of hospitals in New South Wales. But it's no good, Mr Hazard, if you're not going to staff them adequately. News next. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Hello, if you're just joining us for the first time on this Monday. It's great to have you company. It is February 15. Give us a call. Let me know what's on your mind. 13 12 69. Uh, One of the big news stories of the day, and we'll speak to Christina in the capital a little about it this morning, is that in Canberra, perhaps the federal government is considering uh, options for job seeker and an overhaul, if you like, Perhaps touting one subsidy for all. What does that mean? Well, 
We'll talk about it a little later this morning as we get more detail, but uh, the reports this morning is that a permanent rise is expected for the unemployment benefit, uh, the job seeker payment, the old new start payment, the old dole. And what they're looking at doing uh, under a new proposal is a streamlined single payment for everybody. So the government is now considering streamlining welfare payments. Under the proposal, unemployed people receiving up to a dozen supplements or subsidies could end up having them paid in one welfare payment. It all comes as new data reveals that the economy is slowly improving, so therefore we may well be able to afford this. News Corp reports an increase in the job seeker rate is also now being considered, so what do you make of it? Give me a call, 13 12 69. It's pretty obvious, of course, that... 40 bucks a day wasn't going to cut it post-COVID-19. Not that we're really post-COVID yet, but as the vaccines are rolled out in the coming weeks and our economy and everybody returns to work, let's hope we get back to some sort of normality. We've done well, particularly here in New South Wales. We've reached that magical 28 days of zero community transmission of COVID-19. We know Melbourne right at the moment. Victoria is in a lockdown which is unfortunate, but I think necessary to ensure that the new strain from overseas, Europe, elsewhere, doesn't make its way and get its tentacles into the rest of the country. If you want to have your say on all of this, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Glenn, good morning. How are you, mate? Hey, good. Thank you. Yourself? All right. Thank you, Glenn. What's on your mind? Oh, shit, what is it? All right, that's a good way of putting it, but can you be more specific? Hey, Marcus. Yes, Glenn. Mate, our Lord is the best, isn't he? Chuck out the rest. Well, you wanted to talk about gold bludgers, is that right? That's correct, but I was just saying about Lord, you know what he's like about them? Well, sort of, yes. Mate, I, 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 yeah, I, I got no time for them. Right. Yeah, like you, you put two and two together, they just bludges like Lawsy, you know, like you took Lawsy, yeah, it was. And, and you, you've done a marvellous job with Lawsy, mate. Um, uh, unbelievable. You're brilliant to listen to. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, and I appreciate the call. And maybe next time you can ring when you're sober. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, for Sydney today, cloudy, high chance of showers, mainly this afternoon, and tops of around 23 degrees. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, look, our mate, Lloyd. Uh, you remember last year we caught up with Lloyd. Lloyd's walk for Walker, a walk for water. He's back at it again. G'day, viewers. It is Lloyd from Lloyd's Walk for Water. We're here on our Basin Bound tour, travelling across the basin, looking at what's happening under the government's $13 billion plan to save the Murray-Darling Basin. Anyway, you've seen lots of destruction in our region for my 303-kilometre walk. And uh, yesterday we drove up from Menindi up to Broken Hill. And it was a really, really great day. We met with some Barkindji rangers, and they were talking about uh, how important their country and their culture is to them. And how important the Darling Barker is to their uh, to their way of life. Anyway, currently New South Wales and Melinda Pavey are trying to license floodplain harvesting. 
Anyway, there's some huge problems around that. The estimated volumes of take will basically cement what's happening here on the Darling and also what's happening to Menindi. So Menindi Lake System is part of an SDL project under the basin plan to save water. They want to shut Menindi off, essentially. Take it from storing, I think it's 2,000 gigs, down to 88 gigs. So they're going to turn off a heap of the lakes out there. One of the key drivers of the Basin Plan, which also came out in the South Australian Royal Commission, is that the Basin Plan, first and foremost, has to uh, provide for environments and ecosystem functions and also critical human needs. So... It fails on a lot of fronts when you look at Menindi as an SDL project. So it's an, an SDL project that New South Wales government is trying to do, and they're already halfway through destroying Menindi. Yeah, so that's Lloyd, who's currently trekking around some of, well, the toughest terrain in New South Wales, southern New South Wales, into Victoria, uh, along the Murray-Darling Basin. Uh, We'll probably try and catch up with Lloyd at some point this week, uh, but I'll share that video. It goes on for around about seven minutes where Lloyd makes some really good points. I mean, he's out there, unlike Melinda Pavey, he's out there hearing stories from, well, real people on the land. And unfortunately, Melinda, I have to say, you're coming in for a lot of criticism, particularly over floodplain harvesting. Again, some great work done by Jordan Shanks late last week. Uh, Helen Dalton as well and others who are fighting for a better deal for New South Wales and Victorian farmers along that stretch of water where unfortunately it again appears that unless you have very deep pockets or a multinational corporation, you're not getting your fair share. And remember as well, we uncovered last week that tax loophole that exists that unfairly unfairly allows multinationals to come up, buy our water, store it and then sell it and ship off the proceeds tax-free. They don't pay capital gains tax because, you know, even though water's a commodity, it's not property. (laughs) It's a joke. really is. Anyway, some more on that this week. Absolutely, we'll continue the fight. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Wake up, wake up. I want it. Marcus Paul in the morning. Just gets me going. That skips at the cooper. All right, there is a brand new survey out today done by News Corp whereby they have looked at some of the worst performing hospitals in New South Wales. Blacktown Hospital is the worst in the state according to this data-rich scorecard of how your local hospital performs. Blacktown is a is one of a number of uh, in Sydney's west and southwest that dominate the list of the t- 10 worst across New South Wales. Wollongong, Gosford, Shoalhaven are also being let down by the state of their hospitals, as are people out in the western suburbs at Nepean, where there's a beautiful new development taking place, but who's going to staff it? That's one of the biggest issues that I hear from people who are in these shiny new hospitals. They're wonderful, they've created jobs and great infrastructure. No point in having the latest in technology, the best beds and the best, uh, you know, shiniest new buildings if you're not going to staff them properly. Uh, so Nepean's also under the micros- a microscope, as is Campbelltown Hospital. 
But nowhere else is it worse than Blacktown, where in the last 18 months, sadly, five babies have died. And it led to a point where there was industrial action by not only doctors but nurses, midwives, etc. They all took to the streets in protest last year because they were concerned about patient care. Ryan Park is the Shadow Health Minister of New South Wales and he's been quoted in this new survey and this report out today. Ryan, good morning to you, mate. Good morning, Marcus. Now, no doubt you'd be very pleased that we're shining a spotlight, the media, on this today. Well, this is sobering news that reports essentially what I've been saying for some time but has been highlighted by patient experiences and discussions that I've had with them who say, Ryan, we've got a brand new hospital, but when we go there, we've got elective surgery waiting lists, waiting well over an hour. We spend six, seven, eight hours in an emergency department and we see nurses, health workers and doctors run off their feet. And when you've got a health system like that that is leaving people behind, particularly in western, southwestern Sydney, well, it's quite clear that there's going to be catastrophes occur. Yeah, uh, look, I... Uh... And I've shared it for people to have a read of as well. But there are some 25 categories that this new report has had a look at. And Blacktown had the most entries in the 25 categories of poor performing hospitals with 13 so-called dishonourable mentions. Uh, For instance, only 61% of the patients rated the doctors treating them as very good. Patients who always had the opportunity to speak to a doctor, well, less than half of the patients at Blacktown weren't able to speak to a doctor, and that's compared across the state of some 64%. I mean, well, it's incredible. Worry. I've been working with the local member out there, Stephen Barley, who's been a long-term advocate for this hospital, and he describes a situation where thousands of people are literally calling Blacktown home every single month, mm. but we are not keeping up in terms of health services, and that hospital is under enormous pressure and quite simply what we're seeing is communities in these suburbs markets being left behind by a government who's not investing where the growth in population is. Well I made the point and look I have to say you know in fair's fair my uh, my mother had spent a bit of time in out at Nepean Hospital late last year uh, six or seven weeks her care was pretty good uh, brand new hospital and they're rebuilding some parts of it now but where she was was fairly new but there's, there's just no one around there's hardly any nurses and all of these beautiful new beds the latest equipment etc um, and over the weekend in particular that's when it's the worst it's almost impossible to get a nurse to come and, and, and tend to you Well, people don't go to hospitals to see shiny new buildings. They go, unfortunately, because they're sick or a loved one is sick and they want to try and get the best possible treatment. And time and time again, we're hearing stories from frontline health workers, from frontline nurses and doctors who are saying, Ryan, we've got this new piece of infrastructure, but we simply do not have the resources to open it properly and serve the population. And that is particularly evident when you look at west, southwest and even northwest Sydney, where those big growth populations are, we have a government who's essentially leaving these communities behind. Now, Blacktown had the least clean emergency department toilets, while patients ranked Bankstown Lincoln as the worst public hospital in the state for the ability to talk to a doctor during their stay. That's just some of the findings. Well, that's exactly right, and that shows evidence of a health system that is 
simply cannot cope with the growing population. You've got nurses and health workers run off their feet. They don't have time to do some of those other important tasks, and that's putting their own safety at risk, and it's putting the safety of others at risk, and that is simply not acceptable. What we need to do is make sure our staffing is properly funded and resourced, particularly when we go and expand into some of these big population areas that are literally suburbs coming out of the ground. How much privatisation is happening in a number of these hospitals? One of the the big problems that I heard down, particularly around the Shoalhaven, you've got a beautiful new development down there, Barrel. Uh, My understanding is that it's a 50-50 private-public partnership and I've had people call my program and tell me, Ryan, that you know, they had to go to the hospital. They were down there at, say, their holiday house or, or maybe visiting family or friends, depending on on who uh, I refer to here. But essentially, they're all saying the same thing. Uh, there's no doctors. There's hardly any nurses in this shiny new building. And when they ask and inquire as to why, uh, they're simply told, well, uh, that's not the government's responsibility. They've privatised the nurses. Well... Well, Marcus, the reality is when you go to a hospital, a public hospital uh, in New South Wales, it's the responsibility of the government where they try these models. Uh, Often they do not work. Uh, We know that this government tried to privatise five additional hospitals. The community um, vehemently fought against that across New South Wales. But is that a part of the problem? Sorry, mate, just to interrupt you there, Ryan. Is that getting to the crux of it? Is that a part of the problem? Is it that some of our hospitals are being partially privatised and that's leading to a lack of services, a lack of doctors, a lack of nurses? Well, it can be a part of the problem, but I think the biggest part of the problem is, uh, Marcus, is that there's not adequate funding going into these new shiny buildings when they're constructed to meet the needs of the population, particularly in big growth areas like west, southwest and northwestern Sydney. The reality is the government has put a whole lot of people there, allowed a whole lot of people there to move, but has not kept up in terms of providing them adequate health resources, and they've simply been left behind. Yep, okay. Uh, Well, the worst of it, as we know, uh, as I've said, and it quite clearly shows in this survey done by News Corp, is that in some of the... Most populated areas of New South Wales, as we look at Blacktown, Campbelltown, Penrith, Nepean Valley, all of those areas, that's where the vast majority of the New South Wales or Sydney population are living. We're talking literally millions of people, and they're being, well, underfunded and understaffed. That's right, and we simply cannot have that situation here in New South Wales, when people move into these large residential areas Mm, that have been approved by the government, I think the least they can expect is adequate health services nearby to cope with that growing population on demand. All right, mate. It's great to have you on the program as always. We'll keep up this fight. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Marcus. All right, there he is, Shadow Health Minister Ryan Park. All right, uh, Sue has sent us an email. You can send me one as well, 2smsupernetwork.com, obviously in relation to the uh, the little bit of audio that I played from Lloyd, who's on his walk for water and campaign to, I guess, provide some public insight into what's happening on the Murray-Darling Basin, in particular around Menindee. Sue says, G'day, Marcus. What a bunch of hypocrites trying to fit, fix the Murray-Darling system. All the bloody fish kills 12 months or so ago. It was big news. Uh, Let's have a look here. Uh, Big 
multi-million dollar nationals like almond tree and cotton, uh, cotton growers are a little too greedy with the water. Don't worry about the poor little cattle farmers. <laughs> Uh, shame says Sue. Uh, well, it's a bit more complex than that, but I, the gist of what you're saying is right. Yes, unfortunately, we just need to go back to some of the great work done by Michael West and Jordan Shanks and Helen Dalton on this. It's very, very clear that the state government, particularly the Nationals, have dropped the ball on border management in New South Wales. Floodplain harvesting, all the rest of it, is only going to mean there's less water in the lake. And the southern area, in particular, of the Murray-Darling continues to die, to wilter. And it's not good enough. 131269. By the way, there's another scandal involving the National Rugby League. This time around, it's a former Bulldogs player, Michael Litcher. He's been charged after he was taken to hospital in a serious condition following an alleged fight with a current NRL star and what police are investigating as a quote-unquote love triangle. Ain't love grand? What a wonderful Valentine's Day they must have had. It's understood the partner of one of the players was at the centre of an argument involving Litcher and other foot- and the other footballer, which quickly turned physical. The drama occurred at Litcher's southern Sydney home during a gathering which led to the ugly scenes in the early hours of yesterday morning. Officers were called to a domestic incident at the Coddles Point home at 10 to 5 yesterday after being notified of a loud dispute by neighbours. On arrival, police found 27-year-old Litcher suffering severe cuts to his hand and arm. It's believed the former Bulldog star may have sustained the injuries after he put his hand through a glass window at the home. He was taken to Sydney Hospital for treatment by a team of hand specialists. Released from hospital late yesterday and questioned by police. So, there we go. We'll most likely hear more about this a little later this morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, good morning and welcome to the program. If you're just joining us for the first time on this Monday, it's great to have your company. 13 12 69 is my telephone number. It is Monday, Feb 15. If you want to send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Mick is on the open line. Hello, Mick. Good morning, mate. Morning. I left Sydney. I left Sydney in 1993. It was pretty crowded then. Mm. We have this constant inflow of um, immigration. Two hundred thousand a year, most of whom settle in around Sydney, and their children. This is like two or, th- two or three million people every ten years. The city can't cope. You have the federal government telling us, "Oh, the state government's just not investing enough money in schools, roads, hospitals." Why not? And the federal government says we need it for economic growth. Now, the suburbs in Western Sydney, I didn't even know existed until I took the M7 recently. Yeah. Further and further out, you've got people everywhere else living on top of each other like rats. I took the train into the city and a suburb of Walleye Creek didn't even really exist. Now, it's, it's a high-rise suburb everywhere beside the railway's high-rise. Yep. You've got kids growing up on the 10th floor. Well, you've got kids growing up in Western Sydney who don't get to see Dad because he takes two hours to get to work and get back every afternoon. I just, I feel for these young families in Sydney, mate. And the government says, we've got to do it for economic growth. Well, you know, really, if you're the federal government and that's the only answer you can come up with for economic growth, it's time you give the job to someone else. 
Well said, Mick. Really? Well said. And you're right, and I guess it's uh, highlighted in this report that's out today. It's a divide that'll make many people ill. A report card, a really good story done by News Corp on the state of hospitals in New South Wales. Now, the report card shows that Blacktown, Bankstown, Wollongong, Campbelltown, Liverpool, Nepean, Westmead, Gosford, Griffith and Shoalhaven are in the bottom ten. They are the worst performing hospitals in New South Wales. What are the top five? Well, in the city, Royal Prince Alfred, St Vincent's, Fairfield, Auburn and Ryde are in the top five. In the regional areas of New South Wales, the top five performing hospitals, Curry Curry, Singleton, Kempsey, Forbes and Mudgee. Now, unfortunately, in New South Wales in 2019, there were 359 injuries from medication incidents. There were 14 deaths following medication incidents. There were 6,383 falls resulting in injury. There were 17 deaths following a fall. In the 2018-2019 financial year, misadventure to patients during surgical and medical care, some 7,519 incidents. And 6,888 infections after a procedure. I mean, it's a concern. It really is a concern. And there's countless stories about how unhealthy some of our local hospitals are. Blacktown Hospital is the worst. Royal Prince Alfred in Camperdown or St Vincent's in Darlinghurst are the best. We have to ask our question. We have to ask the question, why is this the case? And why is it in the most popular, populated areas of Sydney in, in particular, which means obviously they're one of the most populated areas of New South Wales, why are the standards so lax? Why are there so many issues here? 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say on this. David Tubridge MP will join us on the program. By the way, the Powerhouse Museum inquiry is on today, so we'll talk about this and also the casino licence. I mean, David's got some stories. He remembers how... Mr. Packer walked down the corridor in Parliament, persuading an anti-gambling, anti-vice Fred Nile to vote for a special exemption to allow indoor smoking in high rollers rooms, critical apparently to get all the, the whales, that's what they call them, the whales, the high rollers in. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we're also just after 7.30 going to catch up with a, a resident in Melbourne who's now in her third lockdown. This poor woman has been trying to get married for a long time, and it's just not happening. I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny at all, but it just, it'll highlight how difficult it is for people having to deal with lockdowns. There is another one right now going on in Victoria until at least Wednesday, another hard lockdown. No schools open. Unfortunately, uh, no construction happening. I've got a few mates that are in the building game. And I, I saw a lot of uh, emails and some uh, reports on social media over the weekend, even bricklayers and plasterers and chippies, all wondering whether they can go to work today in Melbourne. The answer is no. Everything is shut down again. Hello, Meg. How are you this morning? 
Oh, good morning, Max. How are you? Good, thanks, Meg. What's on your mind? Um, I just listened to all these reports about Sydney being crowded and all that. Yeah. And it seems to be the only um, only solving of the problem is to send them to the country. Well, I'm in Orange. Orange used to be a nice country town. Mm. Now it's becoming too close to Sydney. Um, all the beautiful country around the town is being bulldozed for newfangled um, modern real estates with grandiose country-inspired titles. Right. And all they are is grey, ticky-tacky boxes, roof to roof. Uh, we haven't got the medical infrastructure to cover these people. Mm. Last year during the drought, we were on level five water restrictions. Yes. And we still haven't come out of that totally. Yep. We haven't got medical facilities or doctors and things. They all seem to have closed their books because they're full. Mm. Um, the town is becoming overcrowded. You can't get parking. And it seems to me that people come from Sydney thinking they're coming to the country and need a four-wheel drive. We're just being inundated with four-wheel drive vehicles. Mm. It's just not a country town anymore. And I listened to John Barillaro the week before last. Yep waxing miracle mm. about the benefits of a country life. But that's disappearing rapidly because it's being just overtaken. And, and Orange used to, when I first um, moved to the house I live here, I could walk a block or two and be in open country when I was walking my dog. Yeah. Now it's gone way, 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 way out. You know, all these countries' um, ideal and views and vistas Yep. are being overtaken with housing estates. And you've got so to you, one, you yeah, you've got to wonder too. You, and remember, every time a new housing estate goes up, it's a, a windfall for the state government. They make a mozza, millions, tens if not mm. hundreds of millions of dollars in stamp duty, which they collect. Yeah. And you would expect at the very least, at the very least, Meg, you would expect that they inject this money as a part of infrastructure back into your community. That's right. Yeah. Mm. All right. I, I said we, it's, it's just becoming overcrowded. It used to be able to go to um, go out of town somewhere and find a little lay-by on the side of the road or one of those little um, roadside places where you can sit and have a cuppa. Yeah. We used to like to go and do that and take our own little picnic basket and sit there, enjoy the country, find a little spot to sit there with nobody around you. Mm. And as soon as you park, right. another car will invariably come across and try to park right next to you. Um, Country people are used to having space around them, and I don't think we really cope well with a private picnic ground with people sitting on the table elbow to elbow with you. All right, well, look, I'm I'm afraid to say that I I suspect it's only going to get a little worse, Meg, because as Sydney becomes more and more unaffordable, thanks to tolls and high cost of living, there's going to be more and more people trying to get a... Uh, an escape out to country areas, regional areas like Orange, Bathurst, etc. Uh, you know, a bit of a, what do you do? You, you turn over a new green leaf <laughs> or a treescape or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yes, the government, if they are going to, you know, exact the windfall of stamp duty from these wonderful new housing developments out in the Areas of regional New South Wales, they need to pump that money back into these areas in infrastructure. And that includes in the public hospital system and schools as well. 13 12 69, the telephone number if you'd like to have your say. 
right, uh, just getting a note here. Wonderful Christina Keneally will join us on the program after 8 o'clock this morning. Christina, not happy at all about Peter Dutton. The story is Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton charged you and I, taxpayers, more than $36,000 to charter a Royal Australian Air Force jet to Tasmania to make a grants announcement for CCTV systems for two councils during the 2018 Braddon by-election campaign. At the time, Mr Dutton announced the grants for Burnie and Waratah Winded Councils were the combined, worth a combined $194,000 in, uh, in July 2018, a month before the rules for the third round of Safer Communities Fund were published and applications opened. A Home Affairs Department briefing, first released under Freedom of Information to the ABC, shows Mr Dutton was ultimately advised in January of 2019 against approving the two grants on the grounds that they quote-unquote did not represent value for money in accordance with the program guidelines. But of course Mr Dutton overruled the advice. Defence records of VIP RAAF flights show Mr Dutton travelled from Brisbane to Wynyard in northern Tasmania on July 15 where he stayed overnight before taking the jet back to Brisbane. The total cost, including the jet's return to its base in Canberra, was, are you ready for it, $36,340. They're taking us for mugs. I'm telling you right now, again, they're taking us for mugs. Absolutely they are. They think it's their money to spend as they wish and waste as they wish. Well, I told you Christina Keneally is Labor's attack dog on this stuff and she'll be on the program after 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. Oh, I love the sound of the 80s. It doesn't get much more 80s than that, does it? Steve Winwood, love the synthesiser. I'm the same boy I used to be. I also love the uh, the reworked version of that song, which was just Call On Me with a big drum beat, a big bass beat, and, I don't know, two dozen of the most beautiful women running around in leotards. You know what I'm talking about? Justin shaking his head. Yeah, of course you know what I'm talking about. Don't be ridiculous. One of my favourite video clips ever. <clears throat> But you can't beat an original. Look, our V-Day is finally within reach. Health officials have confirmed the first doses of the highly effective Pfizer vaccine will arrive in our country within days and start rolling out in a week's time. If overseas results are anything to go by, that's good news for Australia. In Israel, the Pfizer jab is already proving hugely successful with a new study of more than 523,000 vaccine recipients showing no one had died and only 544 people had contracted COVID-19, just four of them with severe illness. Look, Australia's playing catch-up with the rest of the world as we know. With more than 160 million vaccine doses already distributed globally, including enough in the US alone to cover our entire population, February 22, they tell us, Feb 22 is widely tipped as the vaccination start date, with Health Minister Greg Hunt confirming the first shipment of 80,000 Pfizer doses will land in Australia before the end of the week, if not earlier, and then undergo quality testing. Mr Hunt said priority groups in Phase 1A of the rollout, would start to receive their first jabs in the final week of February. So there we go. 
Uh, I've got a note here from uh, one of our hashtag warriors, our animal warrior, Emma Hurst, from the Animal Justice Party. Emma says, former Family First candidate Ashley Fenn, who reportedly owned an illegal puppy farm site in Victoria, has been revealed as the applicant for a planned 300-plus dog puppy farm in Moama in New South Wales. So the development application for the, for the facility, which is expected to house up to 200 dogs and 120 puppies, has been open for public submissions by the Murray River Council. Well, <laughs> we're going to share this far and wide, and let's have this bloody thing shut down. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome to the program. Hello if you're just joining us for the first time. This morning on this Monday, it is Feb 15. It's good to have your company. A few showers around our listening areas this morning up there on the mid-north coast. G'day to you up there at Coffs and also Port Macquarie. Uh, And into the central west of New South Wales for our listeners on 2EL Orange. uh, Tops in the low 20s for all of you. And again, the chance of a brief shower or two. Maybe also a late thunderstorm for both uh, Orange and Port Macquarie, we're told. Alrighty, 131269, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. Very soon, I'm going to speak to a young woman from Melbourne. She's in a third lockdown. She's getting married in three weeks. Could you imagine how difficult it's been for a number of people caught up in lockdowns while they try and, well, navigate their way through uh, all of the roadblocks that are being put in place as they get to one of the happiest days of their lives? Morgan Lee's joining us on the program in the next half hour. Independent cinemas, by the way, on the mid-north coast are seeking targeted federal government support with the JobKeeper wage subsidy coming to an end next month. The delay in blockbuster movie releases due to COVID-19 has taken its toll on the industry. Revenue, we're told, has experienced a major hit. Majestic Cinemas CEO and Independent Cinemas Australia Vice President Kieran Dell said, unlike many businesses which had recovered well from COVID-19, cinemas don't have a lot of product supply. Independent Cinemas Australia is calling for targeted support for the industry from the federal government. 13 12 69, the open line number to have you say. 2SM, supernetwork.com for your emails. <laughs> What's your name? Marcus, Paul in the morning. All right, there is an inquiry on today in New South Wales into the Powerhouse Museum. I want to talk about this. Also, what is going on with the licence for the brand new casino in Sydney? That big shiny building, will it become a, <laughs> a white elephant for the Packers? Not quite sure. And also, what's going on so far as rorts are concerned in New South Wales? Someone who's been working very hard on all of these issues is Greens MP David Shoebridge. Good morning to you, David. Yeah, morning, Marcus. How are you this morning? Not bad, mate. Thank you for joining us, as always. So, the inquiry into the Powerhouse Museum, we know what's going on here. Uh, will it be moving to Parramatta? I guess it will be, and so on and so forth. So, what can you tell me? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it looks like the planning approval was given late on Friday, you know, just before this inquiry kicks off again on Monday. Uh, I've had locals um, from Parramatta, from 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 the centre of Sydney, you know, who surround the current powerhouse site, but also from around New South Wales, saying, you know, what what on earth is the state government doing, spending the better part of a billion dollars initially to destroy a perfectly functioning museum, 
and, and move it down to, to Parramatta when there is so much need for funding, arts funding, museum funding, gallery funding around the state. You know, I talk to gallery owners, uh, local communities around the rest of New South Wales. They can't get $10,000 to fix a leaky roof. They can't get the money to fix a, a, a broken toilet, let, let alone the kind of money they need to have world-class gallery spaces. And they, they shake their head at this particular project. And, and I suppose what we're doing is focusing today on how much is this project going to cost? What is it actually going to deliver for Parramatta? And then some of those other key issues, like, you know, there's major flood concerns about yeah. building this very large project on the riverbank. Well, that's right, mate. It's all about <coughs> accountability, and that's what you're doing. Uh, I Look, I do agree, and I've talked about this at length, particularly last year when this was big news. I agree that there should be an arts precinct out in Parramatta. It's the wrong place they're building it for a start, and as we know, there well, are other, there's other pieces of infrastructure yeah. that are at risk, including Willow Grove, etc. Yeah. Well, imagine if instead of this highly controversial project, you know, to knock down a beautiful piece of Parramatta's heritage in the form of Willow Grove, to, instead of instead of doing that, instead of building it on a floodplain, flood-prone part of the, the riverbank, uh, instead of trying to go to war with the Powerhouse Museum, imagine if instead the government had said, OK, to the people of Parramatta, we've got the better part of a billion dollars. What kind of arts, his, history, museum project would you like that reflects the history of Parramatta? You know, the amazing uh, Indigenous Aboriginal history, the, 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 the early colonial history, the, the waves of migration, you know, the success stories of Parramatta. Imagine if they'd said, we want to do something amazing that reflects the history of Parramatta, a world-class museum. Where would you like it? What should it tell? Imagine how excited everyone would be about that project now and how much further along we'd be and how, how much money would have been saved on consultants and redesigns and, you know, the, the gazillions that have been wasted to date on the powerhouse, which is... Obviously, another question we're going to put to the Minister today. Well, tell me about, just on that, before we move on to other issues, the New South Wales government has spent more than $90 million last year alone outsourcing work to the private sector, almost $10 million more than was paid to consultants before the state posted a record deficit. Your analysis, or Labor's in particular, shows the government poured almost $93 million into the big four consultancies, KPMG, Deloitte, Touche, Tomatsu, Ernst and Young, and Price Waterhouse Coopers. Not bad if you can yeah. earn it, hey? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, some people know how to make money out of this state government, don't they? And um, and and that is an obscene amount of taxpayers' money. And it also means that instead of policy being developed by public servants, whose whose only focus should be, and and often is, whose only focus is, you know, the public good, detailed policy outcomes, mm. ends up being designed by a bunch of high paid external. Um, often very market-driven, market um, market-driven consultants who have a real view about downsizing government, less public services, and and, and we see that now being delivered in in state government policy. And you know, why do the same people keep getting asked to come up with the same solutions? It's because they produce solutions that are, I, I would say, right-wing government likes: less government services, cutting things, chopping things. But haven't we got enough? Bureaucrats within our own public service. I mean, aren't there aren't there some four hundred thousand employees in the New South Wales public service? For goodness' sake, yeah, the, the biggest employer in the country, and the government thinks it can't find somebody within that workforce to develop ideas like you know how to make our transport better or how to make our hospitals better. Of course, we should be looking at the expertise in the public service, but they don't always give the answers the government wants. You see. They, they, and that's why they go out and they give their briefs to these big four consultancy firms because they tend 
they know who's paying them. They know that the next the next contract depends upon them giving the right answers in the last contract, and you know that's that's I think a very bad development. And and we've even seen you know key tax policies. Um, uh, you know this move towards uh, away from stamp duty towards a broad based land tax. A lot of that yep. has been developed not in the public service, not in the treasury, but developed in a private consultancy firm. And one of the reasons is because we can't force the release of the documents yes, from private consultancy firms. It's, well, it's all about secrecy. Well, that's right. And they're free from the so-called freedom of information laws. Consultancy contracts awarded in 2020 include more than $164,000 for Deloitte's to help reduce parking demand in residential buildings. What? And almost $350,000 to optimise an online learning, learning module for transport for New South Wales. Mm-hmm. I mean, what on earth does optimising an online learning module even mean? I don't know, but I wanna, <laughs> for that sort of money, I want to get amongst it. Let me tell you that right now, David. Deloitte was also given a contract to do a review of cluster fuel tax credits worth an additional $357,500, and external consultants were also used to help in the sale of 51% of WestConnex. Yeah, and and what I, what I think is disturbing is <coughs> that this trend is going in the wrong direction. You know, year on year, we're seeing more and more of public money, taxpayers' money, yeah. go to these kind of, you know, uh, it's hard to describe these projects other than as um, kind of bizarre political vanity projects. Mm. Um, but again, more than 400,000 people already employed by the people of New South Wales to right. do this kind of work. Speaking because, of, yeah. yeah, go ahead, mate. No, no, it's because the government doesn't trust the public service to come up with the answers they want. And that's why they brief these big consultants to come up with politically convenient solutions. In secrecy. Absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, we've got budget estimates coming up um, in a fortnight or so, and I can tell you now um, that this kind of gross waste of public money will be front and centre in our our budget estimates inquiries. All right. Speaking of, you mentioned... uh, uh, I guess um, developments that are, uh, I guess, are all based around perhaps ego and elitism and wanting to show off, etc. What about Mr. Packer? Did he walk down the corridor of Parliament and persuade Fred Nile, who, who, as we know, is anti-vice, anti-gambling, to vote for a special exemption to allow different laws for high rollers? What's going on here? Yeah, I suppose I, I thought I'd share this with you because um, so, sometimes, you know, if you look under the bonnet and you have a look at the way politics actually works in New South Wales, you know, it, it can be a pretty ugly, um, pretty ugly visit. And um, at the time that the, the Crown, led by Packer, was trying to get their second licence up and running to, to get all the approvals in place to build that, you know, that um, vanity tower for their Crown Casino in, in Barangaroo, the thing that was really potentially stopping their project was our, our strict anti-smoking laws because you can't have indoor smoking uh, in any venue in New South Wales, and that was the law. And, um, and, and what he wanted was he wanted to have indoor smoking in the high roller room in his casino so he could bring in the big overseas whales, they're called, you know, the really wealthy um, yeah. international gamblers. And, and they apparently will only gamble if they can smoke at the same time inside a room. Yeah. So unless he got that sorted, he couldn't get that. Apparently, it wouldn't stack up his project. Now, we were always going to oppose that as Greens MPs. Um, 
any kind of loosening of our of our smoking laws, and and you know particularly the workers who are going to be exposed to um, uh, cigarette smoke. Yeah. But the critical vote he needed was Fred Nile, and so I distinctly remember the day I saw this posse of them, um, Packer and two or three of his um, senior executives, walking down the corridor past yeah. my office into Fred Nile's Fred Nile's office, <laughs> and persuading him I don't know how that Fred Nile should vote to weaken our smoking laws um, to allow for you know, this drinking, gambling den of iniquity to be, to be created in Brangaroo. And, you know, the next day Fred and I went down, rolled over and voted, voted to weaken our smoking laws. Well, it's not happening at the moment uh, with what's going on there at Barangaroo, and it may not happen for quite some time. Just want to get a quick update uh, from you on what's happening in relation to the so-called rorting uh, by the New South Wales government. You know, the standard as you go, um, every day, run-of-the-mill status quo pork barrelling in the state of New South Wales. Where are you with this, David? Well, we had uh, the Deputy Premier turn up and give his version of how, what and why this $177 million of the bushfire grants was handed out. And he gave a number of answers that, that, that were, on the face of it, seemed to be contradict the facts that we knew, um, would be a polite way of describing it. He said, <laughs> I'll say bullshit, but you can say, you can say it politely. <laughs> projects, um, he said, projects were, were only funded <laughs> if they were more than a million dollars in value. Yeah. And, and that that was a threshold. And that's why half, that's why all the Blue Mountains projects failed, because they didn't hit the threshold. And when I pointed out to him that the publicly available list of, you know, more than 70 projects, half of them were well under a million dollars. Um, some of them were, you know, less than $100,000. He just said, oh, well, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get you the criteria. He, he made a bunch of other statements about the criteria being about the number of buildings that were lost and this, that and the other. I said, where's that on the public record? Show me the document. Mm. And do you know what he tended uh, to support he tended two pages of dot points of his speaking notes that were drafted by his own staff. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he tended. So what we'll do when Parliament returns tomorrow... Don't, t- hang on. Will- Don't tell me uh, John Barillaro's gone to the uh, Barnaby Joyce School of Accountability. I mean, <laughs> at least he gave you notes. Barnaby simply sends apparent text messages to the Prime Minister. That's his accountability <laughs> on water. Yeah, I mean, we did get that. They were on paper and they were two pages long. Um, so, okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> but tomorrow when Parliament returns, um, I'll be putting on a motion, um, hopefully with the support of, you know, an overwhelming number in the upper house, to force the release of all the actual documents. You know, the projects that were approved, the projects that were rejected, and what on earth, if any, consistent criteria were applied for these bushfire grants. And, you know, we, we will get the answers to that. Um, in either a fortnight or, or three weeks, depending on on how long it's going to take to produce the docs. Because, you know, it's one thing to say it, like the Deputy Premier said in the uh, inquiry, but it's, it's quite another thing to back it up with proof, and, and that's what we'll be doing. All right, David. Great to have you on the program, as always. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers, Marcus. Good speaking. Greens MP David Shoebridge. Wake up in the morning. Wake up. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Yeah, very soon we're going to catch up with a uh, a Melbourne woman who's into a third lockdown, but she's getting married in just three weeks. How on earth has she been managed to navigate all these lockdowns to hopefully enjoy what will be supposedly 
the happiest day of her life. It'll be an interesting chat. Listen out for it, Morgan Lees. After 8 o'clock this morning, a couple of things we're going to talk about. Sean Rooney will join us from the Australian Aged Care Collaboration. Aged care providers are launching a new campaign calling for major reforms to the sector. As we know, the Royal Commission will make its final recommendations on the aged care sector a little later this month. So Sean Rooney will join us. And Christina Keneally is going to unleash on Peter Dutton. Peter, Peter, Peter. I mean, can you believe the audacity of this bloke? I mean, it makes his use of taxpayer dollars using the RAAF as his personal limousine service makes Bronwyn Bishop's helicopter gate look like, I don't know, play money almost. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. It's 23 minutes after 7. You're listening to Marcus Paul in the morning around Australia. 13 12 69 is my telephone number. One, two, one, two, three, four. Good morning. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back to the program. It's great to have you company. It is a Monday. It is February 15, 13, 12, 69 is the open line number, if you would like to have you say. Look, as we know, New South Wales are dealing quite well with the COVID-19 outbreak. What are we now? 28 days. And we've set a new COVID-free record. New South Wales recorded its 28th day without a locally transmitted case of COVID-19 for the first time since the pandemic began. News of the milestone came as authorities said the New Zealand travel bubble would remain in place despite the emergence yesterday of three new cases in Auckland leading to a lockdown in that city. Uh, Although I think that's been updated now this morning. We'll double check that. I think I think you cannot fly in and out of Auckland. Anyway, our Chief Health Officer Paul Kelly said for the time being there would be no change to the green zone flights coming from New Zealand as the risks were very low but Uh, We'll double-check that, Scruff, I think. But we know it's a mess right now down in Victoria. They're into their second hard... Well, I beg your pardon, their third hard lockdown. We know what happened the last time this happened. Well, the Andrews government promised Victorians that within a week or two, things would return to normal. It went on for months and months. Effectively crippling the Australian economy for a time. Because, as you know, the Australian economy has a twin-turbo engine. New South Wales is one. Victoria is the other. Now, since they've come up with, uh, well, unfortunately, just a a few cases of COVID-19 of this new strain from Europe, Dan Andrews, again, has locked the place shut tight. No one's going to school. No one's going to work. They have to work from home. There's no construction on building sites. It's all been shut down. And what about those people who are planning important occasions, milestones? I mean, funerals are hard enough. But things that are normally celebrated and enjoyed by uh, loved-up couples, their family and their friends, weddings are also affected by COVID-19 
Now, Morgan Lees is from Melbourne. Morgan joins us on the program. Hello, Morgan. Hello. It's really good to talk to you, Morgan. You're getting married. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, that's, that's the plan. But <laughs> All right, so what's your fiancé's name? Simon. All right, when were you supposed to get married? We meant to be getting married on the 6th of March. Okay. What plans have you put in place for your nuptials? <laughs> um, we intend to go up to Tweed Heads and get married up there, um, if that's allowed. If it's allowed? Yeah. Why, why Tweed Heads? Um, that's where I grew up. Okay. And you've got family and friends there? Yes. And hope you're hopeful that obviously mum, dad, the rest of your family and friends can all be a part of what will be a very important day for you. Yeah, hopefully. We have um, son and parents are in regional Victoria, my yes. mum's in Sydney and mm-hmm. my dad's in Brisbane, so it's all a bit complicated. But effectively what you would like to see is everybody congregate in beautiful tweed heads uh, for a wedding. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen this week, is it? No, no. How, how on earth, Morgan, and I know you're not the only one in this boat, I've got two weddings that are happening on Friday of this week and already people from places like Victoria are very concerned that they won't be able to attend. But how difficult yep. is it to organise uh, such an important event as this knowing that your plans could be thrown into chaos at any given moment? It feels impossible. You can't really lock anything in. Um, You know, we're sort of three weeks out and it could be fine, it could not be fine and just no one knows, no one can know. Like you say, guess, it's really hard to ask people to commit to come to something that they don't know, you know, book accommodation, book flights, that you, you just sort of can't plan anything. And up until, I guess, late last week, or even this time last week, if you and I were having a chat, everything was going ahead. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yep. Everything felt fine, and then it just changes so, so quickly. So have you booked? Uh, obviously, you've got your flights booked. What about a, a reception place and all that sort of stuff? Yep. Every, everything booked. Everything, yeah, paid for, of course. <laughs> so. Paid for all up front. Uh, yeah, pretty, well, but yeah. I know what you mean. So, so, I mean, without giving, <laughs> without going into too much detail, I mean, you've, you've forked out, I would imagine, thousands upon thousands of dollars for this very special day. Yeah. Yeah. You dress, it's all ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to be picking it up on Friday. The fiancé suit already. Yeah. Uh, what about bridal party? Uh, are you having many people in your bridal party? I originally um, had two bridesmaids who live in the UK, so I do not. <laughs> they obviously oh. can't come. Um, but yeah, we've got one bridesmaid in Sydney, okay. one on the Gold Coast. So again, we need you know people to be able to move around. Mm. So what date again is it? The sixth of March. Okay, so we've got literally three weeks or so. Yep. So hopefully, I mean, if Dan Andrews decides at the on Wednesday, that's when they're going to make a decision. If he decides mm. to reopen borders and they've got it all under control, 
what will you do? Will the end just push ahead? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, um, especially with everything being booked and paid for, um, that's the that's the sort of goal. But you know, we just, we just have to wait. And How frustrating is it? Uh, look, I, look. We know that it's obviously uh, COVID nineteen has been devastating for many people around the country. I mean, you're talking about a wedding, which is a wonderful occasion, and you deserve to be happy and have this wonderful occasion. We understand to an extent why borders get closed, etc. But I mean, personally, it must be devastating for you as well, not being able to uh, to plan things. I guess with any real sense that they will go ahead at this stage yeah it, it's hard and it's also hard to um to sort of feel like it's important you know you say like yes it's a wedding and, and you deserve to have it but in these times when people are going through you know there's people in melbourne that live by themselves who yeah. you know again for five days can't see anyone and things like that and that's really hard and so it's hard to even feel like your problem is you know, important because compared to other people, it's it's sort of not. And like you say, it's it's affecting everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Look, I am so sorry that you're going through this, Morgan. Do you mind if we uh, if we keep in touch with you? Yeah. No, that's fine. Let's keep in touch with you, uh, and let's see how you progress. Let's see how you go because if. If it all goes south, and I really hope it doesn't, then, you know, if you're trying to chase things up after to, and if you have to reschedule and rebook, then I want to be on your side in the media if you need to do that. So what we'll do, Thank we might, you. we'll talk to you again. Uh, let's talk to you again. Yeah. In, uh, we'll see what happens this week, what Dan Andrews yeah. decides, Melbourne, uh, uh, Morgan. We'll see what happens in Melbourne. If it's good news, we'll talk to you again. If it's ba- even if it's bad news, and and then we'll see where we're up to. But let's follow your journey. If if, if you're okay for us to do that, we'll follow your journey yep. right up to the point where hopefully everybody's on an aircraft, getting to Tweed Heads, flying into Coolangatta Airport. You've got all your family and friends there. Stuff COVID. I'm getting married. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, Morgan. Uh, all the best. To you, you. your fiancé and your family, your loved ones, Uh, we'll stay in touch and we'll see how things go. Good luck, okay? I know everybody is, even though we know how difficult things are with COVID, but everybody will be behind you because I think you represent a lot of young women around Australia at the moment who are probably going through exactly the same thing as you are, okay? Yep. All right, sweetie. You take care. Good luck. Thanks very much. You're welcome. And we'll talk soon. There she is, Morgan Lees. I mean, for goodness sake, how, look, I'm not discounting how serious things are about COVID, but how hard is it? How hard is it for, for young people planning to marry and celebrate with family and friends what should be the happiest moment of their lives? Um, and COVID has really knocked that around. It really has. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. Marcus Paul in the morning after 8 o'clock. Christina Keneally on the program. She's got <laughs> old potato head in the sights. Can I say that? Peter Dutton is in her sights. That's probably far more professional, Marcus. Uh, because they specialise in strata complex unit and commercial building repairs or upgrades, Network Construction Services are the remedial building specialists that you can trust. Whether it's structural repairs 
facade and cladding replacement, waterproofing upgrades to electrical and fire services, improving accessibility, concrete cancer repairs. They look after all of that as well. Network construction services bring together over 70 years of combined industry experience. So if you need repairs, refurbishments or maintenance to your strata complex unit or your commercial building and you need it completed on time, within budget and to the very highest standards of quality, Network Construction Services are the leaders in remedial building work. You can find out more at networkconstructionservices.com.au Or you can call Steve at Network Construction Services. That telephone number is 9808-5673. I'll tell you again, 9808-5673. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Okay, 10 to 8, just on the uh, the flight situation. Australia will stop quarantine-free travel for New Zealanders after three COVID-19 cases were recorded in Auckland. So just updating, because I read that original story from the paper, which obviously was printed overnight, but there's been a change. Australia will stop quarantine-free travel for New Zealanders after three COVID-19 cases were recorded in Auckland. The Trans-Tasman bubble was set up so people could fly from New Zealand to Australia without needing to spend 14 days in a hotel. However, Australia's expert medical panel made a decision late last night to change the system. It means any New Zealanders that fly into Australia from today will need to spend a fortnight in hotel quarantine. I mean, many of them are probably flying in today for weddings this week. Or other events. The new rule will remain in place for the next three days before the situation is reassessed, so let's hope there's a change. Excuse me, let's hope there is a big change. A statement on the Department of Health website said the pause on quarantine-free travel was decided after a meeting with the Chief Health Officer of Queensland, also New South Wales, Victoria, and the Australian Chief Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, late last night. So just repeating that news... Australia will stop quarantine-free travel from New Zealanders after three COVID-19 cases were recorded in Auckland. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back to the program. Great to have you company. 131269 is my telephone number. If you would like to have you say, we'd love to hear from you this morning. Hello, Marcus. Scruff. How are you, mate? You well? I'm good. What Excellent. Ha- You're Excellent. glowing today. What happened on the I'm weekend? what? You're glowing with love. I'm, what happened? I'm hungover. What? No, I'm not hungover? hungover. No, I don't drink. Something happened on the weekend. Nothing happened on the weekend. Yes, what happened did. to you? Yeah. Did, how, how'd you go, by the way, with your romance with the well, wife? Well, nothing you... compared to you. I would have. I, I could no, have done a lot of things, it. and it, nothing compared to We're what not, you got up to. I'm not. I, what did I, I didn't get up to anything. Well, we've announced it on the uh, on the social media, so you have to announce You've it what? on the air now. You've, what have yeah. you done? Yeah. You are getting married. Oh, you! Oh, you did. Oh, <laughs> you, all right. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's found his, uh, well, he's a prawn, so he's found his mermaid. Mermaid, I have. Uh, Good morning to you, my beautiful fiancé, Ash. There we go. (laughs) Yes, I did. I did. 
You make me look like an idiot now. I didn't do well, anything. Hey, Marcus gets he gets in love and marries, and all I get is <laughs> oh, a pet flower. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's okay. That's okay. Well, thank you, mate. Thank you. It's very kind, and no, I'm very excited, and we're very happy, and and uh, yeah, it's a great time. Great time, which is wonderful. And um, so, all the ladies of, uh, oh, who are listening oh now will want to know how to do it, Marcus. How? Yes. Well, with your help. Yes. You and I put together a, a little video of all a montage of photographs yes, of Ash and I, and it was a beautiful song playing in the background, an air supply song, oh, now and forever. Isn't that nice? Now, did that inspire you to do one for your wife? Well, I did exactly the same thing. In uh, the oh, way I right. yes, uh, asked I her to marry, yes. you pitched my idea that's twenty exactly years right. ago. I did ten years ago. Yes. I did. I pinched <laughs> your idea. Yes. All right. Well, very good. Thank you, mate. That's very kind of you. And um, he's got a big smile. He's very happy. Oh, I'm fine. Just another day. Nothing. Nothing going on. <laughs> Bash didn't. It's just another day. That's <laughs> yeah, another day. All right. What are we going to do? Should we play a song? Nah, come on. Let's let's have a love song. Oh God, no. Please. Come what do you on. think? This is love song dedication. Someone yes. gets engaged on the weekend. The next thing you want to turn it into. Come on, Marcus. Uh, the, oh, I, I'll, really? I'll just put. Uh, can you just press play on oh, that one? Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Marcus Paul in the morning. Thank you, Justin. Bat- batting above his average, I'll oh, tell you that much. Sh- well, just you- like me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> morning. It's a beautiful night. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome back to the program. Hello, if you're just joining us for the first time on this Monday, it is February 15, 13, 12, 69, our telephone number and emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Wombat, hello, how are you? Good morning, congratulations. Oh, <laughs> you're very kind, thank you. <laughs> okay, does this mean that I'll have to start knitting little Raider booties? Oh, not yet. Oh, God, no. Not yet. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't. well, actually, <laughs> not yet, but maybe in a year or two. How's that? <laughs> well, uh, it's, you're on a promise. Yes, okay, absolutely. Um, I will get you to... Ra- uh, to uh, down the track when the time comes, because you know any any look. I already have two uh, grown children, but yes, I, I know. Yeah. if I uh, if I have, I want a little girl. Okay. Well, so oh well, I, that's what I want. So if anybody out there prays, <laughs> I want a little girl, and I will dress her in head to toe Raiders booties. Poor little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be like that. Thank you, Wombat. It's very kind of you. No, my pleasure. Have a Bye. great day. Bye-bye Bye. now. Bye. Okay, it's seven after eight. Look, aged care providers are launching a new campaign calling for major reforms to the sector with the Royal Commission set to make its recommendations later this month. A new report shows here in Australia we devote less than half of what comparable countries do to aged care. 1.2% versus 2.5% of gross domestic product. Now, ahead of the next election, advocates will draw attention to the significant number of older Australians living in some of our most marginal electorates. Sean Rooney is from the Australian Aged Care Collaboration, and he says that action is well, well and truly overdue. Sean's on the program now. Thank you for your time, mate. 
Yeah, good to be here, Marcus. Thank you. Uh, the aged care sector, as I've been saying for quite some time, is in an absolute mess. The system is in urgent need of transformation, with 16,000 vulnerable Australians dying in 2017-2018 while waiting for a government subsidised support package in their own home. In, additional, in addition, I should say, 100,000 people are waiting for home support at their approved level, with those in need of the highest level packages typically waiting for at least... A minimum 12 months. We can do much, much better, can't we? Uh, we certainly can, Marcus. I mean, I'm here on behalf of over 1,000 aged care service providers with a simple and important message for all our parliamentarians and all Australians, and that is that it's time to care about aged care. As you said, it's no secret the aged care system is broken. We've had over 20 reviews in the past two decades telling us that aged care policy, regulation and resourcing is not keeping pace with the needs of older Australians, we have a Royal Commission that will report in less than two weeks and we cannot let this opportunity pass us by. We need a complete overhaul of the system so it's enabled and resourced to deliver the care that people need and the care that aged care workers want to deliver. So that's why we're at Parliament saying that it's time to care about aged care. All right, I see here that a further 88,000 places will be required in communal residential aged care over the next decade at a cost of some $55 billion. I mean, we, we need to spend this money to look after people who, well, built our country. Uh, absolutely right. As you referred to earlier, the Royal Commission uh, did research that shows that Australia spends around 1.2% of GDP on aged care, and we know that we're... Uh, well behind the rest of the uh, uh, other comparable nations and so older Australians are missing out and we need to make sure that we fix this and fix it urgently. Absolutely. Under-resourced aged care homes were described as an impossible situation by council assisting to the Royal Commission and they're struggling to maintain standards and staffing whilst fighting to keep their doors open. Yeah, that's exactly That's a quote from uh, the... Uh, Council assisting when the Royal Commission looked at the funding and the financing of the aged care system. And we say enough is enough. We can't let this continue. We need to do everything we possibly can to ensure that older Australians now and into the future can get the care and support and the services that they need when and where they need it. Yeah. And that's delivered by a well-paid and well-trained workforce. All right, let's have a look uh politically at this. The number of marginal seats in Australia's 30 oldest electorates. The Libs have six. Labor, five. The Nationals, two. Independent minor parties, also two. There's a total of 15 seats here that you will target. Uh, These MPs, you say, have the opportunity to truly achieve something great and avoid the mistakes of the past by creating a sustainable and equitable aged care system that will stand the test of time. If we look at some of these electorates, uh, Labor's Fiona Phillips, they're in Gilmore. If you go to Flinders, Greg Hunt's, I mean, you'd think Greg, I mean, it's marginal, but you'd think Greg would be putting a bit of pressure on the Prime Minister because you'll be calling on Mr Hunt to make a difference as well. Well, look, I mean, we, we looked at uh, where are the towns and communities where we have highest numbers of older Australians because these are the towns and communities that are looking to their elected representatives to fix the, the broken aged care system. So it's not about politics, it's about doing the right thing. And that's what we're calling on the parliamentarians to do. All right. As we look to the future, more than 4.1 million Australians, or almost 16% of our population, are currently aged over 65. By the year, Sean, 2057, that will rise to 8 
1.8 million. It'll more than double by 2057, or 22% of our population, and by 29, uh, 2097, it'll reach 12.8 million people, or one in four. That's a quarter of all Australians. So the challenges for aged care are only going to grow in coming years and decades. Well, that's right. That's why I say we need to fix the aged care system now uh, and for the older Australians to come. All right, mate. Great to have you on. I appreciate Great. your time. We'll talk Thanks, soon. Marcus. Take care. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Sean Rooney there from the Australian Aged Care Co- uh, Collaboration. Uh, if you want more detail about this, all the w's.careaboutagedcare.org.au. And some of the stats are damning. 16,000 Australians have died while waiting for a home care support package. An additional 100,000 people are waiting for home support at their approved level, with people in need of the highest level packages typically waiting at least 12 months. It's not good enough. 78,000 extra workers are needed in the next decade to deal with the country's ageing population. I mean, broadly speaking, Australians access government-subsidised aged care services in three different ways. Through their own home, those on the Commonwealth Home Support Program, there's around 840,000 people on that system. Also in their own home, for people with greater care needs, the Home Care Package Program, about 174,000 people. Communal home uh, care where residents generally receive nursing and personal care 24 hours per day, either on a permanent basis or as short-term respite stays in residential aged care homes. There are currently 244,000 Australians. We need to increase the spending. Total expenditure on aged care in Australia over 2019-2020 reached about $26 billion. The Australian government spent $21 billion with with most of the remainder paid directly by consumers. Uh, It sounds like a lot of money, but when you break down the figures and you compare those figures with what other comparable countries do, that's other countries that are in a, you know, expect a similar uh, type of um, life that we do in Australia. We're, you know, we're a developed nation. We're a first world nation. We only spend 1.2% of our gross domestic product looking after the people that have built this country. Other comparable nations spend more than twice that, 2.5% of their gross domestic product. So ahead of the next election, as I say, advocates will draw attention to the significant number of older Australians living in some of our most marginal electorates, putting all of these MPs on notice that ahead of the next federal election, something needs to be done in order to shore up the security of elder Australians and for God's sake, do something about a crumbling aged care system. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back to the program. Harry and Megan are preparing to welcome a brother or a sister for their son Archie, Mountbatten, Windsor, who turned one, of course, in May last year. A spokesperson for the couple said they were overjoyed at the news, which is wonderful. They shared a black and white picture of themselves under a tree with Harry resting his hand on Megan's head as she cradles her baby bump. (laughs) Uh, Their child will be the eighth in the line to the throne. So congratulations to the Duke and Duchess of Sussex now expecting their second child. I've said on this program that I believe at 18 after 8, we are in an election year. I think Prime Minister Scott Morrison will pull the trigger early. 
And I also believe, and it's obvious, to be honest, that we're in election mode. Certainly where Labor's concerned, I've had Albo on this program a number of times. Uh, he's told me that they're on an election footing. I think we put the, the murmurs behind us of a potential leadership spill. It's not going to happen now. Everybody needs to fall in line behind the Labor leader for those who support Labor and their policies heading into the next election. We've heard some policies already last week from Anthony Albanese on this program. But the dramas keep coming for Scott Morrison, or as Albo calls him, Promo, and his team, the latest being that the Home Affairs Minister, Peter Dutton, charged you and I, simple taxpayers, more than $36,000 to charter a Royal Australian Air Force jet to Tasmania to make a grants announcement for CCTV systems for two councils during the 2018 Braddon by-election campaign. Is that an appropriate use of taxpayer money? Remember, Julie Bishop, uh, Bromwyn Bishop, I'm sorry, Julie, Bromwyn Bishop found herself into trouble, in trouble for hiring helicopters. I think you'll find that may pale into significance so far as this is concerned. To join us uh, and to talk about this and other issues, Senator Christina Keneally. Good morning, Christina, and thank you for your time. Oh, good morning, Marcus. Good morning to your listeners, too. All right. At the time, Mr Dutton announced the grants for Burnie and Waratah Wynyard Councils worth a combined $195,000 back in July 2018, a month before the rules for the third round of Safer Communities Fund were published and applications opens. Uh, again, this thing stinks. It really does, and it's just a, I think it's a tip of the iceberg for this lot. Marcus, you, you couldn't have put it better. I mean, here we've got this grant program that is supposed to be about giving communities at risk safety equipment that they need, CCTV cameras, fencing, bollards, that kind of thing. And before they'd even opened the applications, before they'd even published the rules for the grant, Minister Dutton decided in the middle of a by-election he was going to just give away two grants. Now, I, no doubt those communities welcome the money. I don't begrudge the communities. No. What I, no, not at all. What I, what I am just ropeable about, though, is the way in which the Liberal Party is treating taxpayer money like it is Liberal Party money. And I think it's important that your viewers, or your listeners understand yeah. this, that the, this isn't some one-off. I mean, you remember the sports rorts, which yes. is much the same thing. Yep. Scott Morrison, when he was Treasurer, and he's continued as Prime Minister, set up all these grant programs in the budget. They have very few rules. Some of them don't even have applications. You have to be invited by the Morrison Liberal government to apply. Oh, yes. And the money is given away at the complete discretion of ministers, usually at the most electorally appropriate time, right in the middle of election campaigns. This is your money. This is my money. It's taxpayer money. How can the Liberals be looking after the taxpayers when they're so busy looking after themselves? Well, you're talking about the same party that uh, seems to think it's appropriate to whack Liberal paraphernalia on official documentation in relation to COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, well, they, I mean, and what what a what a extraordinary partisan effort there to you know make the vaccine a political tool for the Liberal Party. You know, and let's not forget when the bushfires were still raging last summer, Scott Morrison rolled out an Australian Defence Force Liberal Party ad, a move that actually made the chief of the Defence Force, Angus Campbell, quite discomforted. Uh, were his words, and yes. you know, this, this politicization and this mm -hmm. treating taxpayer resources like the vaccine, which we're paying for, the taxpayer, like the defense force, in the middle of a crisis, in a bushfire crisis or a health crisis, Scott Morrison thinks nothing of creating 
liberal party advertising uh, to back in himself and his mates. Well, is this... I mean, look, I'm going to just say it here. I don't think this is just at a federal level, New South Wales, the state government here in New South Wales are up to the same old thing. They call it good old-fashioned pork barrelling and the Premier and the Deputy Premier of the state of New South Wales seem to consider it's all a part of the status quo of operations and there's nothing to see here. Let's move on. I've dealt with that issue. Now it's time to divert attention away from something else. But, I mean, it's very clear here that ahead of the 2019 election, departmental documents show that Peter and diverted nearly half of the funding in a grants program to handpick projects ahead of the 2019 election. Where have we heard this before? It's, it's pork barrelling, it's buying votes. The state government in New South Wales under Gladys Berejiklian, the Liberals did exactly the same thing here in this state and we're just supposed to cop it and move on as if you know we dealt with this last week? <laughs> No, we're not. And, and that's why in my role as Shadow Minister for Government Accountability, it's my job and that of all my colleagues, while we are in opposition, to hold this government to account because this is taxpayer money. If I can put this in context, because uh, I'm, I imagine there'll be some of your listeners that get the aged pension. And yes. let's just say this. Peter Dutton spent $36,000 for a 24-hour trip to Tasmania to announce these grants in the middle of a by-election. Mm-hmm. The age pension is about $24,000 yep. a year. He spent one and a half times what some people in our community have to live on in a whole year. He spent in 24 hours. Now, I mean, that is just an arrogance. It is out of touch. It is inappropriate. It's waste and mismanagement. And quite frankly, um, this is why I last week wrote to the Auditor General and asked him to investigate this in the same way that he investigated sports rorts. Because it is one thing. It is one thing in a sports funding scheme to say, oh, you don't get a pool, but this community does. You don't get a a playing field, but this community does. But to say to communities that are at risk of crime or other types of danger to say, sorry, you're not getting a CCTV system. I'm going to give that money to this community over here that is lower ranked in the priority list for safety, but higher ranked for my Liberal Party interests. I mean, that's just grotesque. I mean, this is taxpayer money that is meant to help communities be safer, not meant to help the Liberal Party make seats safer for themselves. And, as we know, it always comes with the obligatory photo opportunity. I know the way it works, Christina. I've been around a long bloody time, and Mm. I'm trying to tell listeners it's not even uh, for me personally I know it's different circumstances for you because of what you for me personally it's not about which party does it or who does it it's about uh, the mismanagement of public funds yeah, we work damn true. hard in this country uh, for what we get we're, we're overtaxed we pay a whole range of taxes and that's because we expect the standard of living that we mm. have and yes there are, I mean ultimately despite some issues we, we do very well here in Australia but what, what I don't like seeing and it's something that has happened from old, tired, liberal governments, whether it's in New South Wales or a federal level, the kind of rotting and pork barrelling that's going on to keep people in power when they damn well know that the money should be diverted to all of Australians. But just because you didn't vote for uh, the LNP in a certain electorate does not mean that your electorate, your area, you and your fellow community don't deserve the same use of taxpayer money that others do. Absolutely. And, you know, right now, when we are in the middle of an economic crisis where so many people are struggling, Australians deserve accountability, 
in transparency and integrity more in our government. More now than ever. More now more than ever. now than ever. You're so right. And, you know, more than two years ago, Scott Morrison promised a National Integrity Commission. He has not delivered it. This eight-year-old liberal government has failed to deliver a National Integrity Commission. And, you know, quite frankly, they're not on the side of the Australian people. Well, it's all about the photo opportunity, Christina. It's all about Uh, sitting in. Always there for the photo op, never there for the follow-up. Well, it's all Um, about getting your backside seated in a uh, fighter jet and having your personal photographer at uh, a number of events just to get it mm -hmm. out there on social media and to keep feeding people the same misinformation. Mm -hmm. Look, again... Uh, we we appreciate and we applaud uh, the money that's being spent in, in many areas around Australia. What we don't appreciate is the fact that it seems to be uh, to favourites. Favouritism has no place when it comes to delving out public funds. It's meant to be for, the, uh, for all of us, evenly, as much as um, possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, right now, we need to get to the bottom of what communities miss out, what communities are less safe today, because the Liberal Party and Peter Dutton are treating this taxpayer money like it's Liberal Party money. Christina, do you believe that Scott Morrison will call an early ballot this year? Well, there's a suspicious hole in the parliamentary sitting calendar later yep. this year, which is perfectly timed for an election campaign. But, you know, that'll be up to Scott Morrison. We know that he always acts in his best interests. We know that he does what he thinks is the best for him, not best for the Australian people. So, yeah, he will, he'll make a, a political call, as he always does. Yep. But, you know... There's a lot of pain coming down the pipeline for Australians right now. We've got this industrial relations bill that yep. Scott Morrison's put for the parliament that allows employers to cut wages. We have the JobKeeper, which is ending next month. We've got 1.6 million people on JobKeeper in this country. It's been an absolute lifeline. And the Liberals and Scott Morrison are reverting to type. They're cutting that off next month. They are yeah, allowing employers to cut wages with their industrial relations bill. Yeah, this is you know classic Liberal Party playbook. They are reverting to type, and you know when we think about what do the Australian people need right now? Yes, they need transparency and accountability in government. They also need secure jobs with their pay and their conditions protected. Yep. They need to have a plan for economic recovery. Uh, they need, frankly, national leadership as well on the vaccine and on international borders. I mean, where is this vaccine? Scott Morrison said we'd be at the front of the oh, queue. Oh, it's coming next week, and then who oh. knows, it'll probably come the week after that. Well, apparently, he promised <laughs> four million of us would be vaccinated by mid-March. Right. I mean, honestly, we don't even get to have four million doses in the country by mid-March. So, yep. uh, it's it's, you know... Uh, this government, you know, it is the triumph of announcement over delivery, and unfortunately it's Australians that are getting left behind. And, you know, really, Australians now more than ever need a government that's on their side, and that's what Anthony Albanese and Labor are laying right. out. Christina, it's good to have you on the program. Let's talk again very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. You too. Cheers. All right, there she is, Senator Christina Keneally. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69, our telephone number. Right on 8.30 now, news time.
Okay, welcome back to the program. Marie's on the open line. Hello, Marie. How are you? Good morning, Marcus, Justin, and all your listeners. Young Marcus, I was just listening to your interview with Christina Cornelius. Yes. Whether it was Liberal or Labor that would be in two years ago or could have been in, and I was listening to her trying to justify the promises that our Prime Minister made two years ago. Has it not occurred to her the virus would have changed a lot of promises that anybody would have made? Whether you're Liberal or Labor, we're paying our politicians enough to stop the tug of war and pull together for the benefit of all the yeah, people that Marie, live in- no, sorry, goodbye. You're so biased, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm just not going to allow it this morning, I'm sorry. Um, our economy tanked under Morrison well and truly before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. I think you need to research a little better. Uh, we were going down the gurgler well before the onset of COVID-19. Um, you know, they said they came in with a promise that they were better economic managers. It is quite clear to anybody that they are simply not better economic managers. And I'm sorry, Marie, uh, all the love you have for Scott Morrison's not going to get you out of that one. He's a dud. David, hello. What do you call a fake noodle? <laughs> what do you call a fake noodle, David, my friend? An impasta. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. <laughs> That was good. I like that one. And in past <laughs> that was funny, Marcus. I like that. Oh, hang on. We've got Dizzy here. She's here. Good Hello, Di. Hello, Di. How are you? Hello. Very well. Do you want me to play a little intro? Oh, we have to. We yeah. have to? All right. <laughs> hang on. There we go. Here we go. Ooh, now on Marcus Paul in the morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. At 19 minutes to nine. Good morning to you, Di. Good morning. Congratulations. What for? So we've we've worked out what was going on on Friday. You were just geeing yourself up for a proposal. We thought oh. you were trying to get Justin. Mm. Um, by the way, did Belinda get anything for Valentine's Day? I picked a few flowers from outside oh, my garden or her nice. garden actually. So <laughs> nice. But then you had the, the romantic poem and the yep. and the tips for Justin on Friday. Yes. And then you proposed to the lovely Ash on. Oh. on so weekend. every male hates you at the moment because you stood him up. Everyone oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> 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 on oh, Valentine's Day? It's oh, exciting. Hey, well, it wasn't actually on Valentine's Day. So it was, it was Saturday. It was Saturday. I couldn't you couldn't wait. wait. No, oh I was, I was ab- absolutely <laughs> shitting myself. It happens. <laughs> it happens, apparently. I was all ready to go. And uh, we did a... We, uh, thank you, my mate Scruffy. We did a nice little video uh, for the proposal. Mm. And Justin helped me out with that. And then it's <laughs> funny, you know, because I, 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 we, I put it up um, for Ash and I had to ring everything ready. And then the video started playing, and it was lovely, and a bit, a few tears, and thank God she said yes, uh, but, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, but then I noticed some 15 minutes later, because um, we wanted to send the video out to, to family, as we were calling them, the bloody site went down. Oh. The, mate, the site where the video was yes, produced. Yes, where I put it up. Oh, yeah, dear. The, the site went to maintenance. Oh. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, could you imagine what would have happened well. if... Right in the middle of what was going on, the site just decided, 
there and then to shut down. Well, the love God was with you, Marcus. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Now, Friday, something. We've got a little postscript. And don't, don't forget, too, the video is up of our chat on Friday, all three of us, uh, with Justin's um, love lessons. For his lovely wife, mm. Belinda, the leader of the opposition. But something happened Belinda didn't tell us uh, during Just our conversation. <laughs> during a time where you were expressing your love. And, and repeating this, a love poem. Yes. This is how uh, much romance is in our life. Um, during that time, Belinda had to life. take little Cameron to the toilet to do a number two. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. So, so she didn't say, say anything on the hour. I said you should I have. That would have been I funny. I wish she had. That would have been very funny. <laughs> she but was see, being that's polite. So maybe <laughs> yeah. that's why your romance is up the poop. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> pooped all over your romance. <laughs> yeah, oh. Right. oh, I'm going home now. <laughs> that's, what, that's what little ones are for, aren't they? <laughs> that's exactly. right. <laughs> well, there you go. So she was right. Maybe that's why she was saying it at the time that, you know, this, you, you guys are so busy, busy with little Cameron. <laughs> yes. Doing toilet uh, That's runs. my life when I get home. Toilet really? breaks and <laughs> toilet breaks. that's about it. Oh, but there are positives too. Oh, yes, we love everything else. You know, baby shark 50,000 times yes, a day. Oh, I love yep. it. I love it. What else is he in? Bluey. Fly- Bluey, Fly- and Sam. So I've watched every episode of Fly- and Sam 50 times. He gets a little bit older and he's into things like Toy Story. I mean, with Bailey yes. and Jackson when they were little. Toys, it was Aladdin, Toy Story, The Incredibles, the you know, Invincible, all that sort of stuff just on repeat. Oh, it was great. I look forward to that. That's the fun bit. Okay, mm-hmm. just give it one more year and then you'll be right. And Wedding planning, how's that going? What? Have you, have you oh, worked out a date yet? <laughs> and are you planning on children? I mean, you know, yes, we may as well get all absolutely. of these questions out. <laughs> I <do>. we're, <laughs> we're like aunt, uncle and auntie. See, a lot of people say to me, oh, Marcus, uh, you know, you're punching above your weight and blah, blah, blah. Yes, you are. It was my so. dream to, to meet somebody a little younger who might want to have a family. Um, yes. Yeah, because I feel I sort of missed uh, – my boys didn't fully grow up with me, so I feel that I missed out a little bit. So, right. yes, well, that's, fantastic. that's the plan. I just want a girl, okay? <laughs> no other correspondence will be entered into. I want a little girl because my, my niece, little Chloe, had her third birthday yesterday, mm-hmm. and she's just oh. adorable. Adorable. Well, life is good, Marcus. Life is good. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Mm. Bye now. Bye. <laughs> Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. Wake up! All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the program. It's now 12 minutes away from 9. Lawsy in from 9 o'clock uh, to Canberra with Christina in the capital in just a moment. But right now, if a comfy new lounge made and delivered in three to four weeks is what's on your mind, well, that's exactly what you will get from Chili Pip Lounge Designs. They are Sydney's favourite lounge manufacturer. Sit back, unwind and relax in your Chili Pip Lounge, custom made to suit your needs and to reflect your lifestyle. At Chili Pip Lounge Designs, you can choose from a wide selection of all styles available in fabric or leather and anything, absolutely anything is possible. Your Chili Pip Lounge is made for you the way you want it, brand new. Whether you're watching a movie, having a laugh with friends, or maybe snuggling up with that someone special, you will love spending time on your Chili Pip Lounge. Mention you heard it here on Marcus Paul in the morning, and you will receive free fabric protection with your order, valued at 300 bucks. Home is where your Chili Pip Lounge is. Go to ChiliPip, that's C-H-I-L-L-I-P-I-P dot com dot A-U. Or you can phone them on 1300 79 75 16. That's 1300 79 75 16. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed. 
in miracles. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengren. Well, it's our second Christina from the capital so far this morning in the last half hour. In fact, we had Christina Keneally, and now it's time for our own Christina. Christina Rosengren, hello, mate. How are you? Well, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Good, thanks. The Trans-Tasman bubble has been temporarily suspended again from Auckland. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So the National Chief Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, met with his Queensland, New South Wales and Victorian counterparts late last night, and they decided to declare New Zealand a red zone now, and that's after three COVID-19 cases were recorded in Auckland, and they're concerned to be the UK strain of the virus. So because of this decision, Australia is also suspending the Trans-Tasman travel bubble, which means that New Zealanders travelling to Australia now have to quarantine for 14 days upon arrival, whereas previously they did not have to do that. And this new rule will remain in place for the next three days before the situation is reassessed, and the Australian Health Protection Principal Committee will also be seeking further updates from New Zealand today. Now, of course, this isn't the first time we've suspended travel from New Zealand. Uh, Australia took action, similar action, just a few weeks ago when the South African variant was Mm. detected in Auckland. And the last time we suspended travel, there were comments from New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern expressing her disappointment of the decision. decision. And she's raised, uh, you know, questions about that, what that might do for a two-way travel bubble. And, uh, And whether that will be set up in the first quarter of this year remains to be seen, you know, with these ongoing virus outbreaks. All right, speaking of the virus, uh, the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, they're expected to arrive the first shipments anyway uh, here in Australia later this week, Christina. Yes, that's correct. So there's no exact arrival date yet for this first shipment of Pfizer, but Health Minister Greg Hunt says it will arrive before the end of this week, if not earlier. It's expected to contain 80,000 doses, and overall we're expecting 3 million doses over the months of April, May and June. And once they reach Australia, they'll be examined by the Therapeutic Goods Administration to make sure that the numbers are correct and make sure that they haven't been damaged in transit. And then they'll be distributed. So the expectation is that they'll begin to be administered by the end of next week, especially, of course, to quarantine workers and other frontline workers as well. Uh, The government remains a little bit cautious about this rollout, however. Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack says that distributing the vaccine won't be a flawless exercise. This is going to be one of the largest logistics tasks Australia has ever undertaken. And that's, of course, because this vaccine candidate has to be stored at between minus 60 and minus 80 degrees Celsius, which means it needs special storage facilities and special transport. So it needs a very stable environment, and that'll be one of the biggest considerations in moving it around the country. Now, despite calls to the contrary, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has used the latest JobKeeper participation figures to endorse the government's decision to end the scheme next month. Yes, so figures from the Australian Taxation Office show that the number of JobKeeper recipients has fallen from 3.6 million uh, between April and September last year to 1.54 million between October and December. So the number of recipients has more than halved. Western Australia, the Northern Territory and South Australia have reported the largest percentage of workers coming off the payment. And then Victoria, of course, has had the smallest drop, so it's got the largest number of people still receiving the wage subsidy and that relates to uh, its hard lockdown from last year. Uh, but JobKeeper is due to wrap up on the 28th of March, and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has pointed to the fact that the number of job number of recipients is halved uh, as proof that that's the right move to make, basically. Uh, but that's, of course, going to be something that's going to be debated quite hotly, I think, this week and next as the Parliament returns for another sitting fortnight, alongside, of course, speculation for what the base date of jobs there should be because of the coronavirus supplement will, of course, end next month as well. All right, Christina, thank you. We'll look forward to hearing your reports today across the Super Radio Network, and I appreciate you coming on. 
Thank you. All right, there she is, Christina in the capital. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello, good morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Breakfast. We're at six to nine now. Yeah, the Rock Melons and Denny Hines, the daughter of, of course, Marsha Hines. And that word, L-O-V-E, will leave you on that note today. The John Laws Morning Show is next. Have a great, safe day. Bye.